Welcome to the 3ND Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, and uh, regular co-host Justin Lewis uh, um, is uh, um, out of town. I've got a lot of things going on down um, uh, where he's at this week, and so I wanted to bring someone in who uh, we've had before, and a friend of the show, Mr. Parker Fleming of the Core 4 Podcast and uh, Grizzly Bear Blues. How are you, Parker? I'm doing good, Sean. How about yourself? Can't complain, man. Always, always a pleasure to talk basketball with you, and, and we've got plenty to talk about um, going on. So, Parker, when it comes to uh, the current situation in the NBA, we've got the NBA Finals Game 3 last night. The uh, um, Raptors uh, pulled out the win, and uh, now two games to one, of course, here in Memphis. We're keeping up with Mark Gasol. We'll start there. Just a quick take from you. Do you feel the Warriors' reinforcements, KD, Clay? Boogie, you think Hell's going to be on their side to have a realistic chance against the Raptors going forward? Um, it's going to be one of those things with the Warriors. As far as them losing, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, last night, even with just Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Andre Udala, teams just – they're a well-oiled machine. I think, the, I think Steph Curry's brilliance and the brilliance of the Warriors system is very downplayed. It kind of just highlighted it last night. I, it reminded me of why I loved the Warriors system before Kevin Durant. It's because their ball movement, the way Steph Curry moves off screens, Draymond's game in the short roll, where he runs that pick and roll, little short roll, and he throws out the lobby that are like Bogut or Iggy Dollar or Livingston. It's just, it's just great basketball. And honestly, just kind of highlighted – one, how awesome Steph Curry is, and two, that Steve Kerr is actually a pretty damn good coach and not much of a babysitter. But, I mean, health is going to hurt them in the series. Um, the Toronto Raptors are very deep and they're healthy. But, I mean, the Warriors have won three the past four. They've been to the finals the past five years. I will believe them losing when I see it. You know, that's a good point, and and I think that the, the you're right. I think the Warriors are actually possibly more fun to watch without KD than with KD, especially Steph. You know, Steph has a kind of an old school, you know, uh, part of his game there. What you used to see with Reggie Miller and Richard Hamilton running, you know, nearly four to five miles a game almost off screens, uh, you know, off ball movement, just trying to get open. You know, it, it's unbelievable to see him play. I'm sure Steve Kerr probably has that in mind uh, from his days playing. But also it, it sheds light on the fact that a lot of times, Parker, when it comes to the you know NBA Finals, those playoff performances that are memorable, it's amazing how many you forget came in losses. And I know you always remember who wins, but it's amazing to see like Steph's performance last night, LeBron's performances against the Warriors in recent years, those playoff performances that you know came in a losing effort but were still historic. Um, do you feel like Steph may actually – he may reinforce just how awesome of a talent he is, just how historic of a talent he is, if he has a few more games like this, even if it comes in a losing effort. I mean, absolutely. He's already solidified himself as the greatest shooter of all time. And performances like this just remind me how great he is. And I think at the end of the day, he's going to be top 10 with a shot of cracking the top five all time. He just is a transcendent talent that, absolutely transformed the way basketball is played today. 
and it's amazing. I'm sure that someone will come along in time who 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 may you know break a record or two of his. But it, it, you know, we we truly are seeing history in the making. I mean, just the, the the purest form of basketball. You know, some would argue would be the jump shot, and and I'll agree with you. He he's the best that's ever played the game. But let's get you know centered on the reason why we're here, and that's the Grizzlies themselves. We're going to hit on three points today. An occurrence that happened today, the big debate going on with the draft, and then also an upcoming decision next week that, you know, does have a potential impact on the Grizzlies that they themselves don't control the decision on. And Parker, we'll start with the big news today. The new, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, almost said New Jersey again, the Brooklyn Nets and the Atlanta Hawks uh, came to an agreement today. Um, Alan Crabb, the 17th pick in the 2019 draft and a protected 2020 pick going from the Nets to the Hawks, Tarin Prince and a 2022nd going from the Hawks to the Nets. Individually on the surface, this deal may not seem like a you know landmark one, a big one, but it seems to set the stage for a lot of other potential moves that could happen and some that could even impact the Grizzlies. The stage is yours, my friend. What could this mean? How could this be the first domino that really sets up the NBA offseason? I thought it was just a great move on both ends. Um Brooklyn was obviously looking to dump uh, Alan Crabb so they can push forward in their free agency endeavors. And as we've seen all over Twitter, started by Anthony Puccio of SB Nation's Nets Daily and SNY, that Kyrie Irving is very much interested in the Brooklyn Nets, and it's taken up a lot of steam. So I think it's setting the stage to not just get Kyrie Irving, but if they want to bring back D'Lo and have a backcourt of D'Lo and Kyrie, or if they want to chase after Kevin Durant also. Um, and even, too, with Atlanta. And also, Tari and Prince it would be a fantastic role player alongside Kyrie and KD or Kyrie and D'Lo because he can play positions three through four. He's a gritty defender. He can knock down three-pointers. He can score when he has to. So, and he's on a rookie deal this coming season. So I thought that was a brilliant move on Brooklyn. And nonetheless, now Atlanta, even with Alan Crabb, he's an expiring contract who fits that Atlanta system to where he just fires up a bunch of threes. Like he's going to be in his element to where he can jack up five to six threes a game without much consequence. But also now they have three top 20 picks. What if they're trying to move up and get, you know, R.J. Barrett? or DeAndre Hunter, or Jarrett Culver. I personally think they're going to try to move up and get R.J. Barrett because the Knicks could use those extra assets for an Anthony Davis trade. So it's just one one domino in what's going to be probably the craziest NBA offseason we've seen ever. So – you you hinted at you know how it potentially could impact the Grizzlies and you know it could impact them directly plus also the Southwest Division now um, you know hey the Knicks get all these assets in an R.J. Barrett trade they then turn around and supply um, the Pelicans with all this potential talent around Zion but does this have any impact on the Mike Conley market do you feel this potentially impacts the Grizzlies' decision on what they can do with Mike Conley? Does it make a new suitor emerge or a logical landing spot, a suitor we may have already known about? Do they now have more emphasis to make a move for Conley? I think the one part on the Grizzlies' agenda all summer has been they're going to trade Mike Conley. 
he said in the nicest way possible that he wants to go elsewhere. So I think I've been preaching on this since about March or so, about the idea of Mike Conley going to Boston if they lose Kyrie. And I always thought that would be a post, uh, like post-free agency kind of deal. But if they really don't think he's going to come back, I can see something happening on draft night because there's a report that came out where they want to focus on building around the core of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And so if the Grizzlies could get Gordon Hayward, because, I mean, let's be real, the building a competitive team around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown next season, Gordon Hayward shouldn't be in the plans. For one, he kind of clogs things up for them at the wing spot because he's a max talent, a former all-star, and he's not as good as the other two. So you get them a point guard like Mike Conley, who's also a great leader. And then the Grizzlies could also get Gordon Hayward, who can look to resurge, but also be, for one, a good veteran to have in the locker room alongside Janet Jackson Jr. and probably John Morant. But also, if he becomes 80% of what he was, just think about how valuable of a trade asset that is, not just next season, but when it becomes an expiring contract. And maybe then with the plethora of draft picks, you might – I think getting our pick back will be a reach. But maybe you can see about getting 14 and 22 to where you can get – you can swing for the fences with someone like Kevin Porter Jr. or Romeo Langford, and then at 22 get someone like T.C. Dybul, and that would be a, a phenomenal draft for the Memphis Grizzlies. And also, too – with this news of Kyrie more than likely going to Boston, or not Boston, excuse me, Brooklyn, and Brooklyn making this move to clear up cap space to get Kyrie and possibly another max player, New York's not getting Kyrie anymore. If they don't get Kimba, who's to say they don't chase Mike Conley if they were to happen to get someone like Kevin Durant or Jimmy Butler? So my question then becomes this, just, you know, focusing on Boston, you know, and you can't sit here and say that, you know, what they've done is, is a, is a failure in my opinion. You know, Danny Ainge won a title back in 08, you know, um, Brad Stevens has been a, a whole run of a hire, but say that the, um, that Kyrie leaves, they don't get Anthony Davis. They wind up trading for like a Mike Conley. They're able to clear Gordon Hayward, sure. I believe that they do potentially have the spot for, for, for making another move or for a max contract, you know, depending on other moves. But if Kyrie leaves, Parker, do you start to look at Boston and be like, okay, if they're building around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, do you feel that their overall goal that they had three to five years ago, had they not reached it? Did they not meet, you know, their expectations of getting that landmark talent they could have for a long time? I mean, ultimately their goal in making that trade was building forward and finding – I mean, they made that Brooklyn and deal initially. Their goal was to build for the future. And through that, they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So that's step one. And ultimately, even though they didn't get a championship with Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, or Al Horford, I think getting Mike Conley could also put them in playoff contention because let's be real. Let's be real. That team of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, they were one win away from the finals, and they should have beaten that Cavs team that year. And 
a part, a big part of this train wreck last season was Kyrie and his poor leadership. You get Mike Conley in that locker room who is not that far behind, uh, behind Kyrie in terms of production, but also just a head and shoulders better leader. You can see them surprise a lot of people and return back to that finals contending form because Mike Conley, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford, that can still win the East next year. So ultimately, I don't think their goals finished because we've already seen that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can lead a team to potentially the finals, even at a young age. So I think they're just fine. And I think trading for Conley, who could be, who'll be up in like 2021, I don't see any risk in it. I mean, you're giving up Gordon Hayward and then picks you don't really need. That's an excellent point. And, and, and I do agree with you while they didn't land, while they didn't secure that long-term just elite talent, you know, because Kyrie likely is going elsewhere. They probably over they probably exceeded their expectations for having long-term foundation pieces going into the, you know, the next decade uh, with Tatum and Brown. So that's an excellent point. Uh, but, but, you know, getting back to Conley himself, I mean, you know, the byproduct of this is also the fact that, you know, Hey, Brooklyn's making moves, New York's making moves, Boston, you know, potentially is making moves. You know, this, this definitely could result in uh, there being other things that occur like other teams, Indiana, Philadelphia, um, teams such as that, uh, that 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 really make the moves for Conley, or it could potentially make moves for Conley. Parker, do you foresee it likely being Conley going to an Eastern Conference team? I mean, it just seems like the best potential returns are there, and the teams that have the biggest reason to make moves for Conley are there as well. Do you see him going to the Eastern Conference more than likely? I could see him going to the East, but if Kevin Durant leaves the West. I think there'll be teams in the West, too, that will make a play for Mike Conley. I think we've obviously seen, like, if L.A. doesn't get Kimba Walker or Kyrie Irving or even Jimmy Butler, they make a play for Mike Conley. Or you have um, – you've seen Phoenix come up. I don't think Phoenix is going to get Mike Conley or has interest in him. I'm really wanting to keep an eye on Minnesota because they got in some new new faces in the front office, and they've made a lot of brilliant moves, both in their front office and on their coaching staff so far this offseason. I can see them as a potential suitor for Mike Conley. Um, it's just tough to predict. Honestly, I, I would give it about 75-25 he's going to the East, mainly because, like you said, there's going to be all these teams shaking the landscape of the Eastern Conference and with the Knicks and the Nets and I'm not even going to discount the Hawks possibly making a push for the playoffs next year. Teams are going to slide out. I think teams are going to try to want to stay afloat and Mike Conley can definitely help the team stay afloat and make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference and perhaps win the Eastern Conference as well. You know, I'm a big baseball fan. They say when it comes to the baseball playoffs, it's a, you know, it's a crapshoot. You're seeing that now in the NBA playoffs. You know, the Grizzlies are have a in their history, they have been benefited. They benefited from a Russell Westbrook injury that got them to the Western Conference playoffs. Um, and now the Raptors' chances are definitely there due to injuries. You never know what happens when you get there. The whole point is to get there. So you're right. You certainly can see teams making a push. 
So we've, we've hit on Conley a little bit. Obviously, we've got the coaching search that's going on. You know, we will probably see within the next uh, um, uh, several days that come to fruition. But a week from today, we're talking uh, to you on Thursday, June the 6th. A week from today, Jonas Valanciunas has his player decision to make. And he's been very vocal about the coaching search, about Conley. You know, the Grizzlies' decision on those two um, dilemmas uh, really impacting his decision. But let's be honest, neither one of them may be decided by the time he picks. Parker, what do you see Jonas ultimately doing? And how do you see it impacting the Grizzlies' um, uh, you know, roster and decision-making in the short term? Uh, it's hard to predict what Jonas Valanciunas is going to do. Yes, he's been super vocal about knowing the direction, knowing the coach. But at the end of the day, he has a choice of making $17 million next year. And if he were to be on the open market, I don't even see him making $10 million annually just because of the market for Jonas Valanciunas. And so at this point, too, he's more of a luxury than a necessity because you see people wanted to move Jaron Jackson to the full, to the five full-time. I I agree and disagree. I wouldn't mind seeing him at the four a little bit more and maybe putting, like, a a guy that can space the floor at the five, you know, like a Brooke Lopez, Dwayne Dedman. Maybe if they make a, a Mike Conley-Miami deal, try to get Kelly Olenek, something like that. So I don't really know what Valentin is going to do. I've been, I was one of his biggest uh, advocates this past season. I thought he's been brilliant. If he comes back, I'm all for it. But if not, I'm not going to sweat over it. I can certainly agree with that. I wrote an article over Grizzly Bear Blues here recently about, you know, how could you make, um, you know, I think that the Grizzlies definitely need to bring Valanciunas back. You, you want that because he certainly is a positive value. And if it's not him, he's an avenue to other positive value, maybe in a trade. And you could potentially increase his value by making him a three-point shooting guy, a guy that could improve your spacing because he has shown it. He showed it last year or in the 17-18 season. But in my opinion, I think that, you know, the best outcome would be for the Grizzlies to deal with certainty in the short term, get him in the fold. Um, And I think it makes sense for him to make 17 million. You're right. He's not going to make more than that on the open market. So if the Grizzlies do bring Valanciunas back, and we know Conley may be, you know, traded, we know the coaching search, we'll get into the draft pick in just a second. Do you foresee any other big potential moves that the Grizzlies could make that may be unexpected when it comes to the roster? We kind of have an idea of who's coming back. We kind of have an idea of what we may do with the lone right. But do you see any other surprising roster moves the Grizzlies can make, not in terms of names itself, but, you know, just in general uh, to make the roster better? Um, I'm going right, so to start here with the safe, the safe one. I think C.J. Miles or Avery Bradley will be moved for either second-round picks in this year's draft or in future drafts. Um, I, see a, I foresee a team wanting to clear salary cap and maybe – taking on Avery Bradley and then waiving him and only having it guaranteed $2 million. That's enticing to a team. So I could, I would watch out for a team like Philly or actually trying to think of who they even have under contract where it makes sense. Well, Philly and Atlanta have a lot of second round picks. I can see those two being teams that could potentially trade for Avery Bradley, but um, that'll really be hot right here. 
I think JV opts in, but he potentially gets traded on draft night. Okay, okay. So you th- so you're saying that you feel that Jonas Valanciunas becomes a tradable asset on draft night, not someone who the Grizzlies traded at the trade deadline. Was was that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I was, I was just trying to be bold, and I think it's a bold one that could potentially happen. You maybe get a few second round picks plus a wing. Like honestly, I wish that. I mean, ooh, how about this? How about this? Atlanta needs a five. Let's say they don't trade up. What if they take? What if they give you or offering you Allen Crabb and the 17 pick for Jonas Valanciunas? Do you do it? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Yeah, like I wish something like that would happen. I doubt something like that would happen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn uses uh, their 27th pick, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they package that up and. Crap, they don't have any more bad contracts. Dang it. They they stopped doing salary dumps and now they're actually gonna get someone. Um anyways, yeah, I just foresee a scenario to where there will be secondary draft night trades that either get the Grizzlies a late first round pick or multiple seconds, whether it's this year's or future. Whether it's Avery Bradley, CJ Miles, Jonas Valanciunas. And Parker, that's the thing that that I, I think that we both want from the Grizzlies. We want to see a front office that will do this type of stuff, that will make these type of moves like, you know, Sean Marks does with Brooklyn, the, that the Hawks do. Just these smart trades that it, t- it takes you a second to think, and then you're like, okay, this makes some sense. They did it at the trade deadline with a Gasol trade. Do you feel confident in this new front office, or do you have the basis to yet? to where they can make those type of moves, those underrated moves now that could really pay off in roster construction, like trading a Jonas Valanciunas for a draft pick on draft night. Do you think this front office can effectively do that compared to the other front office who never seem to be able to do that? I have confidence in the front office because I haven't seen the mess up. Um, I like the amount of time they're taking on this coaching search, but even though it's completely agonizing, they've now taken almost two months to find a coach. That shows great patience. I'm, I'm down with that. Um, and they've also mentioned in different interviews with The Athletic and the Commercial Appeal, uh, Daily Miffian, I believe also, that they're wanting to be more proactive than reactive. So maybe you start seeing moves to where instead of just aimlessly taking, like, signing a bunch of mediocre players, kind of like what Miami did, they then they use that cap space to take some salary dumps. Like another salary dump I'd pay attention to is Miami. Whether it's a Conley deal or maybe like Chandler Parsons, Avery Bradley. I can actually see Avery Bradley to Miami. That's another that's one right there. Because they can make the money match with a guy like Avery Bradley and either like Dion Waiters or James Johnson, and then they can waive Avery Bradley and free up more cap space for twenty for this summer. So watch out for that one too. Could you imagine how excited Memphis fans would be to get James Johnson back? I I still remember the James Johnson neck tattoo being one of the best marketing campaigns the Grizzlies ever came up with. <laughs> oh, I know. I remember that too. I, I love James Johnson. Oh gosh, yes. I would. I would also love to have Dion Waiters. I I think Memphis deserves to have Waiters Island. I think he'd be the most lovable Grizzly, short-term Grizzly since Lance Stevenson. 
that's a pretty good point. That's a pretty good point. At, at the strength of his of his game would certainly match a long term weakness of the Grizzlies for sure. So we've talked about potential moves in the roster itself, but it seems like that the decision or the debate that's you know at the forefront of everybody's mind is certainly you know the uh, uh, the upcoming draft pick, you know the number two pick. And I've mentioned before when we've talked, you know, I think the biggest benefit for the Grizzlies is the choice that's there at number two versus, you know, an actual player at this point. We know it's been John Morant for the long, for ever since draft night. The Grizzlies made that clear less than 48 hours after uh, the lottery. But news has come out to where they may be more open-minded. So I want to kind of hit on a few points with this, with you, Parker. Number one, this, the news about John Morant's upcoming surgery, you know, removing loose bodies from his knee. Do you feel that is something that really is of any significance, or do you feel that that Memphis may just be making a bigger deal of it, you know, or fans may make a bigger deal of it because it's a knee and how badly knee injuries have hurt the Grizzlies in the past? You know, I'm with John Morant's knee injury, I'm no doctor, but my dad's had a ton of knee procedures done. And he said John Morant is nothing. And also, it's very similar, if not to a lesser extent, to what West, Russell Westbrook has done in the past several off seasons. Yeah. And we've seen it's not affected Russell Westbrook at all. He's still explosive as all get out. So I think I'll, I think fans are making a bigger deal of it than it actually is. And as far as considering R.J. Barrett, ahead of this draft or ahead of the draft lottery. I didn't carry the way. John Moran, RJ Barrett, they're in the same tier. So, and now that we got the second pick, you know, I'm Team Ja. I want Ja Morant, but I would not be mad about an RJ Barrett pick because even with horrendous spacing and being a sidekick to Zion Williamson, it is an afterthought to the entire nation. He still put up 22-7-4. Granted, his, his percentage is shooting. 30% from three-point and 66% from the free-throw line. That scares the crap out of me. But he's played at a, he's been the best player in his class for all that we've known. And that changed this year, obviously, with Zion Williamson. Um, so I, wanna, I don't know why people are acting like Jaw is so much better than RJ when I think they're on the same tier. I just think in terms of Jaren. In terms of Jaron, Jaw's a better fit. And also in the fact, too, that you're trying to trade Mike Conley, it just makes it easier. It takes off a lot of pressure on you having to find a point goal to the future in a Conley trade or having to roll with DeLon Wright on, on opening eyes your starting point guard. Then with John Morant, you have a guy that's marketable. He's explosive. His jumper's underrated. He shot 36% in college on almost five, five attempts a game. Uh, Peter Edmondson from The Athletic did a terrific piece on his uh, deep-range shooting that he's – it's kind of on par with Damian Lillard's C.J. McCollum in college. So I think his shooting's being overblown. I think it's people just looking for flaws. And I think that's what people are doing with his knee. They're just looking for flaws. Also, people just want to be different because the entire city is so hype on John Morant right now. And another factor with John Morant that may be my most important – and picking them over R.J. Barrett, they are about equal in the skill level. I think Ja has more upside as far as being a superstar goes. But Ja is from a very small town. And he's came out and said, I don't care what market I play in. I just want to play ball. I see a lot of Damian Lillard in him to where 
he's not just going to give up and request a trade. I think he, I think if him and Jaron could build something special early, he's going to want to be here for the long haul. And whereas RJ Barrett's been in the spotlight his entire playing career, uh, dating back to high school, who's to say if the Grizzlies never really take off and take the next step that he just is like, oh, I went out. I'm going to go play in a, for, in a better market. I don't know. Just stuff like that. I, I pay attention to that. And so just give me jaw. I, I just love a point. I just love a prospect that's known for their passing. I love Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio is my first draft crush. Um, Lonzo Ball, Trey Young, Ben Simmons, they've all been known for their passing. And that's just special to me. It's We've seen all these prospects, oh, no, they could be an elite scorer, elite defender. But elite passer just hits different. And that's why I'm just kind of sold on John Morant. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the two things that come into play for me are, yes, I think John Morant is someone that will commit to Memphis more than R.J. Barrett. I don't put a lot of emphasis on R.J. Barrett declining a workout with the Grizzlies. I don't blame R.J. Barrett for that. If you had the choice between Memphis, New York, and L.A. and you had the pedigree of, of R.J. Barrett, heck yeah, I'd want to go to L.A. or um, New York over Memphis. That's not anything against Memphis. It's just the truth. But I also think a second point, and I want to get your take on this, Parker, is when it comes to R.J. versus Morant, for them to develop their game, you have the ball. You have to have a ball dominant concept with R.J. Barrett. He needs to have the ball in his hands really to produce. In my opinion, um, when it comes to his offensive game, more than likely with John Morant, it's about distribution. It's about making the offense better as a whole. And I feel like in a small market like Memphis, where they've had trouble attracting talented, you know, really significant talents via free agency and things like that, that would stay here for a long time. I think that John Morant makes a bigger difference because he can elevate the games of those around him. He has a higher floor potential. Memphis has a higher floor potential with John Morant over R.J. Barrett. Um, Do you feel, you you said that the passing is really something that you consider, but do you feel that Morant is the type of personality that could get other players here based off his game and off of his personality? I think Jaron can be that type of player, but do you think Morant's more of a personality to attract players here than Barrett could be? I don't really know. I haven't seen much of RJ's personality, but we've just seen to where players are more prioritizing a good culture and winning as opposed to just big markets. So I think that helps too. Just if those two could build a good culture here and they can help win ball games, I don't see why they can't recruit free agents. So his name is Parker Fleming. We wanted to take a few minutes with him today. Parker, just wanted to give you a few minutes to plug anything that you may have going on. I know you've got the Core 4 podcast. Do you have any uh, other things going on right now for yourself personally? I know that uh, uh, you've got some pretty big life changes going on with with college being done, but what's going on with you uh, beyond that? Yes, sir. Um, So on uh, GDB, you can find my work at grizzlybearblues.com. Find me on Twitter at Park. Uh, at Paca underscore Flocka. Um, I got a good draft series coming up in the next week, of stretching over this this next week as well as draft week. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be insightful. You'll love it. Um, and then just start my big boy job on June 17th at FedEx. So that'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a great opportunity. And then, yeah, I'm still going to be on – Grizzly Bear Blues still going to be running the core four. So tune in all that at Paca underscore Flocka, at SBN Grizzlies, and at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word four. 
I cannot stress this enough, and I mean every word of it. Parker is one of the emerging, truly talented uh, basketball personalities in the city of Memphis. I always love his work, always very insightful, always two or three steps ahead with, with the opportunities that are there. And uh, I just thank him for, for all the correspondence that he's given us here. Parker, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, uh, we look forward to speaking with you again uh, here soon on the 3 d Podcast. Have a great one, bud. You too, Sean. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us here on the 3 d Podcast. We'll talk to you soon as we lead up to the draft night. Now two weeks away. Um, and thank you for joining us here on the 3 d Podcast.